why am I doing this? What, what is compelling me? Is the aim that I am on, is the, like, the end goal I am seeking, is it meaningful enough for me to withstand these things? If it is, then you will and you can. But if it's something flimsy, like fame and success, it's going to be like much, much harder, I think. Hey friends, welcome back to the Mighty Middle Podcast. My name is Christian Korea. I am your host. Our mission here is simple, to help create a culture of connection, sharing stories and ideas that inspire individuals to move in towards one another and up to their highest potential. My guest today is one of my favorite people on the planet. His ability to combine faith, fun, and a nearly flawless diction that I'm truly envious of has led him to create some fantastic things. Whether it's his podcast, The Back Pew, which explores the place where individuals who are on their way in or out of the church often meet, or his fantastic one-man show, Missionary Positions, A Recovering Christian's Guide to Getting Lost. He's relentless in his pursuit of finding out where our purpose and our passion come from and where it can lead us if we're willing to follow the path. Clocking in at six feet seven inches, he is a giant man with a giant heart who's always willing to listen to that still small voice inside which calls us all forward. So please enjoy this conversation with my very good friend, the one and only Dan Prevett. Dan Prevett. Hey, that's that's me. That's, that's me here. That's yeah. so, so so excited. Man, that that intro. Wow, what an intro. What an intro, Christian. That was that was sensational. It's all real. It's all you. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know what to say, man. I mean, I don't know what to respond to first. The first thing or the second thing or any number of the other things. I mean, it's fantastic. Thank you so much. I wanted to start this off by making you very uncomfortable with compliments because that's how you get sometimes. <laughs> yeah, you can't you you can't possibly make me uncomfortable. I'm not wearing anything below the frame of the camera. I mean, I am so comfortable right I, I now. Don't, I don't know what I don't want to know what those headphones are hanging on to down there. I mean, <laughs> they're not they're not doing their job. I'll tell you that. I also want to point out if anyone's seeing like a clip of this, because I, I was gently kissed by the sun today. I'm not going to lie. I went out on one of those days, you know, where it's hazy, <laughs> you know, where it's hazy. And you're just like, I'm going to take a walk and think about stuff. And then I got home and I was like, I have cancer already. You look deeply Sicilian. You look like absolutely bronzed you look great man I, I look like i'm being choked wait hold on hold on just for you <laughs> for you and our listeners you can see it if you could just see <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh man i'm wearing a i'm wearing a brick red shirt and you're redder than me you look as red as as red as my garment dude i those those days where it's a little where it's a little bit overcast, I never respect those days the way that you're supposed to. And we've been warned about it oh, since yeah. we were children. Like since we were tiny, tiny babies, everybody's been like, the sun is magnified through the clouds or something. And we're just always like, ah, I can't, if I can't see it, I don't care. <laughs> like I never respected. It's kind of like life. If we don't feel the immediate results, it's not happening. Like, <laughs> like we're so instant If I'm not burning, nothing's happening. <laughs> That is, that's a great metaphor. That's exactly, that's exactly how it is for, for like negative things and positive things. 
Yeah. We're yeah. like, uh, I'm not feeling it immediately. This must not be bad. I can have, a, I, I, you know what? Three more shots of tequila. I'm not feeling it quite yet. Let's do them back to back. No yeah, problem. I've, I've learned my lesson with alcohol and any drugs of like, of like dip the toe in, <laughs> dip the toe. I'll see you in an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Why don't you let it? Why don't you let that soak for a minute, big yeah, guy? Yeah, you see other people, and you see you see rookies going in all heavy. They're like, "Oh, I'll just give some more." And I'm like, "Listen, buddy, you might want to sit on this for a minute." <laughs> just one gummy bear. I eat my gummy bears by the fistful. <laughs> now, you're not going to want to do that, friend. It's going to be rough. It's going to be rough. Forty six hours for you. <laughs> but... <laughs> so anyway, Dan Dan Prevet. Um, listen, hello, welcome. I love having you on here. I like you because you're fun. Like you're you're a friend of mine. We have great conversations. You're one of my favorite people to talk to for a gazillion reasons right um and some of them just being that you know you're fun and we're on the same level in that capacity and i feel like it i just want to say really quick i feel like it's wild that you know this is the your first time podcast hosting because this feels like the most natural funnel of every one of your interests and strengths like this feels like a, a calling to be a podcast host so i i am glad to see you doing this it's an honor to be here but uh, what was the nice stuff you were going to keep saying? No, about no, 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 you go first. No, no, you tell me more. Uh, I think I, I think it's awesome because I mean, my you're the you're that you're the friend that I was like, even if we haven't talked in like a year and a half, we'll be able to hop on the phone and talk for like an hour and a half, two hours. And we'll get into talking about like wormholes and alternate realities and what is, you know, how, how can we apply like Zen Buddhism to our, to our grocery trips. And neither of us have ever really studied it in depth. We just like, we just love talking about stuff that we don't really understand. That's what, that's what podcasts are for. That's exactly four hours of stuff that we're making up. No, I, but that's, that's actually exactly what I was trying to get at in a, in a, in a way is your ability, your ability and willingness to go really deep and be very vulnerable and and I want to clarify too up front at the top of this thing because we're going to get into vulnerability and stuff with, with you and your podcast and your show. I want to kind of differentiate your vulnerability in the sense of your willingness to be open and are, and very articulate about how you feel versus look at me, I'm drowned. Like versus like the performative vulnerability for for or it seems at least for me from from the outside that it never seems to me that it's performative and you're trying to get something specifically out of me other than my ear. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, if I'm being honest, I feel like I've uh, done both. And I've, I feel like while I certainly aspire Fair. to the more like the, the more honest, um, you know, just earnest self-reflective vulnerability, I think like the more, the more righteous side of vulnerability, you know, the Brene Brown esque vulnerability where the, where the real good stuff is. I think I've had moments where I've successfully lived that out in my life, but I've also just as many times and probably more done the vulnerability that is a little bit of a show or is not a show in that it's fake, but a show in that I am hoping to elicit a, a specific response for it. Um, I, but I think that's fairly, I think that's fairly common. And honestly, you know, with the state of like social media and the internet and just like the, the pressure to sort of constantly share every little bit of life all the time, I think it's easy to, uh, I think it's really easy to fall into that. And I think for those of us who struggle with feeling super, super confident or like just like, or struggle to feel like we're just crushing life. 
it's sometimes easier to go to social media with that like, oh, aren't I a pitiful little earthworm and hope that we get some hope that we get some positive feedback that way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, you, and yeah, that's a great point. You mentioned that and Brene Brown actually specifically differentiates that in her book and in, in the idea of like there's the vulnerability of like sharing with friends that you're struggling and then this vulnerability of like, I am going to use this for personal gain whatever that personal right. game may be. And you're right. Like everybody, everybody does it. And it's, and it's kind of, it's weird. Cause we live in a world where it's in some ways it's um, not but valuable. It's rewarded in some ways, right? It's like people, yeah, are like, totally. I get likes, it's validated in some ways. And it kind of re- it reinforces this weird loop where people start be- doing more quote unquote vulnerable things when in totally. reality, reality, they're doing very selfish um, attention garnering things. Well, I think that it's and I say that I mean uh, we we like yeah I, you and me just us just, yeah, yeah, the, just two the two of us, of us yeah. yeah exactly I think um, <laughs> in a for better and for worse vulnerability has never been more vogue like I mean the the concept of vulnerability the concepts of radical honesty the concepts of being your truest deepest and most sincere self has never been more hip. Right. And I think that's I think that in many ways, that's a a really good thing. And I think that that is to the credit of thinkers and writers like Brene Brown, who are like there actually is a deep well of strength and uh, resilience to be drawn from this accessibility within yourself to like go into hard places. But I think like all things, when things become popularized, they then become commoditized. And so something that began with a from a really pure place of like we should all venture to be a little bit more vulnerable can then easily just become you know it it can become a way to just get attention or followers or pity i think that you know i think that sometimes we crave pity even if we're not like really able to express that or say that openly i've certainly had times in my life where i you know i would do something and then after the fact if I'm brave enough to look at it a little bit closely, I'm like, I guess I just wanted people to feel sorry for me. Yeah. I guess that's why I did that. Cause I was feeling sorry for me man. and I wanted, you know, our brains are like wired to be right. Um, yeah. man, we just really dove into the deep end. People were going to be like, who's this person? I'm feeling so I'm already feeling yeah. vulnerable. I have to prove myself to say the stuff that I'm thinking. That's, that's yeah. the game. Yeah. No, but you're you're right. You're right in the sense of like, hey, guess what? Sometimes being pitied is is still being seen. It's still being heard. It's still being understood in a way of like you're like if you're like my life is terrible, and somebody else is like, yeah, your life's terrible. They're like they see me, like they understand me. Like it's still the same muscle in a way. Well, I will. So I'll just speak from personal experience. I'll just put myself, you know, um, put myself under the hot light. Um, is that a, is that a phrase? Under the hot light? Um, On the hot seat. Uh, that's that's what it is. That's what it is. Um, there were definitely periods like a few years ago where I got into a really great groove of writing these um, very long, emotionally laden Instagram posts. And they were like all about, you know, the, the struggle and wrestling with self-image and just really just pouring my heart out there onto Instagram. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think that a lot of people do that. I think a lot of people do that from a place of really wanting to help 
give voice to others and help other people to have the the strength and the courage and the confidence to do that, or just to help other people feel less seen or help other people feel more seen who may feel less seen. And I think that that motivation was there for me too, but I kind of had to check myself about like, maybe I'm a little bit too quick to take to social media to vent my struggles and my pain when I am not as quick to, I won't post anything if something wonderful happens. Like if something great were to occur, I'm not necessarily, I didn't have the same instinct to like take that to social media and be like, oh wow, look at how awesome this is. I'm really, really like proud of this thing or this would, I didn't do that. But anytime something was difficult, I would hop on there, try to turn it into some sort of, you know, a, like a, a poetic thesis about the meaning of life and, you know, throw some picture up over it that made me look like I was, you know, better looking than I actually was. Yeah, better looking or like thoughtful. Look at Dan being pensive. Wait, that's such a great, that's such a great observation. Um, and I love the idea that your, your trophy is not the like, look, I went to Cancun. Your trophy is like, look how much I'm struggling. Like that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. And, and it, it actually is, it's a really, it's a tricky thing. So I'm not even, I'm not really shitting on anyone for even bringing it up. There's just this idea for me that sometimes when I'm, when I'm about to post a thing, I'm like, a lot of people are going to enjoy this one. And that should yeah. be my sign to be like, that shouldn't be why you're doing it. Because I, because, yeah. because I actually have a, I have a painting on my wall that I bought off a friend and it was a local artist, this girl, Randy, she's great. And it just says, it's like, she does this cool line art. And then in the middle, it's like a middle finger and it just says, fuck you. And that's not really my decor style, but I love it. <laughs> I love it because everyone's like, what? You're such a positive person. But what I love about it is when I'm writing one of those diatribes, when I'm taking myself really seriously, I can look at that thing and it's just like, fuck you. Like, get over yeah. yourself and just be you and 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 like whatever that is. And if that's being honest and vulnerable and, and, and telling a long thing, that's great. But I think we have an internal gauge and tell me, correct me if I'm wrong, or if you have the same one where as you're doing it, there's part of you that's like, this is a little much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It took a while for me to, to grow that though, that sense of like, this is a little much. I have that now, but that's, but that, that came with me getting a little bit more in touch with like a personal sense of boundaries and being like, you know, these thoughts that I'm having, these are okay thoughts to have. Like these are, there's nothing wrong with having these thoughts, but I can share these thoughts with a couple of close friends. I don't have to do this in the hopes of, you know, if I'm like, if I post something that's sincerely is heartfelt and like comes from a real place, and then I'm logging on to Instagram like for the next 24 hours every 10 minutes to see how many likes it's gotten. So, yeah. Something's something's wrong. That, like something that, about that is wrong. That's when, what I mean. That that feeling of like I have a lot vested in this thing. Like yeah, like, that I that I thought was righteous and good. But it's and it really may good. it 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 may have earnestly started as like I feel the need to say this thing mm -hmm. like from like a very real place. Like I think I have something to say, and I think other people would. Uh, benefit from hearing this thing that I have to say. I think that's fine. I think it's fine to have that instinct and good for you if you're confident enough to have that instinct and to follow through with it. Like there is something about like creation is ultimately, you know, sharing ourselves with other people. Like that's what art is. That's what books are. That's what all of the good stuff that 
creators are trying to do is they're just trying to share their point of view and their perspective with the world. And that's awesome. But it's not our fault that these, you know, social media apps are so perfectly designed to like trigger our addictive mentalities. Yes. You said, wait, hold on. There's uh, there's a thread I want to get back to. And that's about um, um, the hero's journey. But you said something a few years ago to me that I'll never forget. And it was about comedy. So if you guys don't know, Dan is also a fantastic stand-up comedian, very funny guy. And I remember the first time I saw him, you know, when you see somebody at like a, we went to an open mic together and he's all self-effusing and like, oh, blah, and he just goes up there and destroys it. Like his diction, his storytelling, everything. I was like, oh, this son of a bitch, right? But you told me a story that I'll never forget. And you said you were at your therapist or something. And he had mentioned the idea of like, you're um come are you coming to the realization that you're doing stand-up comedy for like um validation or something and once you realize that the question was do you still want to do stand-up and i think about that all the time of like once you realize you're using it to reinforce something that might not be good for you how do you make that decision especially if it's something you like or something you're getting something back from or whatnot like and I'll never forget that. And and where did you end up landing on that? I don't know that I've currently landed. I even as you recite that, I, I mean, I appreciate you saying that, and thank you for for the compliment. I haven't uh, I haven't identified as a stand up in such a long time because I effectively stopped doing stand up uh, in the way that I was doing it. Probably when that occurred, I would still do it every once in a while. Um, but I don't, the reason I say, I don't know that I've landed on it is because I came to that point with standup where I was like, why am I doing this? Am I doing this from a real sincere love of writing jokes and getting up and doing the craft of standup, which at times is really, really difficult and really challenging and painful. Or am I doing this in order to get something out of it? Whether it be like, am I just doing this for a reaction? And with something like stand-up, it's really tricky because the whole art form depends on the reaction. Whether the reaction mm-hmm. is laughter or um, laughter or even disgust or offense, like whether you want to morally defend those things, the whole art form is premised on getting a reaction. So it's really hard to separate the need from the reaction but i had the question for myself and i was pretty young at that point i was probably like 25 26 when i started wrestling with that maybe yeah it's probably 25 and so i've kind of kept wrestling with that in every creative avenue that i've tried first it was stand-up and then i kind of got into acting because i got an agent because of stand-up and then i started doing improv because i wanted to get more acting work and i knew i needed that stuff on my resume and I kept getting frustrated with every avenue that I was doing. I kept, I got to this point in standup where I was like, why am I doing this? And then I tried being an actor and I struggled to book gigs and I got really frustrated. And then I turned into that actor who was like, I get an audition and I'd be like, "Ugh, what a drag. And it's like, Oh no, I don't want to be that guy. Like <laughs> you want to be excited about opportunities and possibilities. You get to do the thing you enjoy doing, even if it's for, 10 minutes on a Wednesday and, you know, in Santa Monica mm-hmm. with improv, improv was a little different because I did that for a long time and I made some great friends and you and I did improv together and we had a blast. So I, I really got a lot socially out of improv. And to be fair, I made some really good friends um, 
doing stand-up. And unfortunately, I just felt like at that point in my life, I was too insecure to know how to really like take care of those friendships. And that's like a whole nother conversation. <laughs> but I was at the point in my life doing improv where I was able to get more out of the social dynamic of it. And I can really appreciate that. But I had to ask the same question of like, why am I doing this? Am I really passionate about this? Or am I just doing this for the results? Mm-hmm. And I'm still, I'm, I mean, I think that the pandemic has given all of us a lot to think about, or at least, you know, the, you know, being locked inside so much of the time or not being able to do the things that we enjoy doing, the things that we want to do, having our freedom to, you know, our freedom to be in crowds or to go do shows or to perform shows, you know, whatever that might be, having to change and re-examine that has forced a lot of us to think about things. And I'm still thinking about that in all of the things that I pick up, you know, whether it was the solo show that I wrote right before the shutdown. Well, why did I do that? Did I really feel like I had something to share and I was really passionate about sharing that? Or did I just want the the reaction? Did I just want something good to come out of it? Did I just want a Netflix special by some like insane miracle? Hold on, but I'm going to stop you for a second because like, yes, you're right. But there's also something that I, and I think me and you specifically, and maybe other people fall into if they're listening, which is this idea of like, you can also do both. And we have this in a weird way, like a martyrdom tendency of like, if there's any of it that feels artifice or um, like it's going for something like, then it's not pure and, and, and you have to like abandon it. But the reality is like, bro, you like your one man show, you wrote and produced and starred in and booked and like did a one man show. And I'm not doing this to suck your dick. I'm telling you this in the sense of like, sure, if at the end of this, you get a Netflix deal for it. Good, because you worked your balls off. Right. But it's not like like, you know, and, and with the writing, the improv, I understand the, the impulse that I also have is to be like, why am I doing this? Is it just to get the reaction? But the reality is you can't really work. You can work for a reaction in comedy and be like a shock comic. But what you're really out for and if you're doing it right is connection. And I don't care if you're doing stand up, if you're doing improv, if you're teaching a yoga class, if you're teaching a history class, if you're doing it well and connecting, you are rewarded for it. You're yeah. rewarded for it through attention, through people caring about what you're doing, people listening. Um, and I think there's nothing wrong with being rewarded for it and there's nothing wrong with wanting to get good enough at it so that you are rewarded for it and you no longer have to wait tables at Raisin Stark Bar. No offense, Raisin Stark Bar. Love Love you guys. guys. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, I think Joakim's listening to this podcast. Uh, (laughs) Man, I just keep getting Um, redder and redder as this thing goes on. (laughs) Gotta hydrate, buddy. Skin cells are trying to heal. God, I need aloe. If anyone Um, listening can send aloe to 608. I'm not going to tell you my address. I think you're absolutely right. All of that's totally fair. And I think that a lot of the reason to really throw yourself into trying to become excellent at a craft is out of the hope that, you know, there are valuable things to be gleaned from it, whether the valuable things are, you know, literally an income or just like, you know, I just want to be great at this thing because it would be awesome being great at this thing, even Mm -hmm. if it's not like a way to make a living. Um, but I guess, I guess for myself, I often have to question even that, like, do I really want to be great at this thing? Am I really willing to like put in the Mm -hmm. hard work and the time and the sacrifice to become 
genuinely great at whatever this thing is, or do I just want the result that being great will reveal? Yes. There's In a- which case, it's going to be almost impossible to, to do all of the work necessary to get it. It's hey, sort of, it's like a catch 22. Yeah. Have you ever read, um, subtle art of not giving a fuck by Mark Manson, yeah. where he yeah. talks about wanting to play music while he was younger and then realizing like, Oh, I don't want to play, play. I want to be a rock star. I don't want to so carry exactly all the shit to the sh- and all the stuff to the shows. And I don't want to gig and I don't want to tour. So that's exactly what I'm talking about. Cause mm-hmm. I, at one point was very serious about playing guitar. And mm-hmm. as soon as I realized that I probably wasn't going to become rock God famous, <laughs> I suddenly like lost interest in playing guitar. Yeah. I, I like pivoted into something that I was like, well, maybe I can get super, you know, what I, the language I use was like, maybe I can get super good at this. Mm-hmm. But in truth, how many, how much of the time was I saying like, maybe I could get really successful at this Got or it. maybe I could get really famous doing this. <laughs> and I think that, you know, the responsibility, I won't speak for anybody else. I feel yeah. like my responsibility as a creative person is to find the thing that I love doing regardless of the uh, external results Mm -hmm. and do those things. Mm -hmm. I won't, I won't, I won't like speak that over anybody else's life, but that's, that's what I personally feel like I'm kind of on a, on a mission to find. You heard it here. Dan's advice. (laughs) (laughs) That's what he said to do everybody, everybody, for all you, for all you 22 year olds out there, just, just beginning to explore your passions. No, but let me ask you a question about that. Um, within that is there is there an untethering for yourself of the need to for greatness because i because i understand the idea of like wanting to become great at something but also i feel like sometimes that slowly that slowly shrinks the amount of things we want to do or even put any time into because we're not going to be great at everything and if you don't find the thing you're not great at or you don't think you want to be great at like we tend to then be like, oh, well, I'm not doing anything. So are there things you just enjoy doing that you're like, I don't care if I get great at this. I just find pure joy out of it. For me personally, yeah. I like, I definitely have things that I enjoy doing um, that I do just to do them. Um, but I think that that's where, that's where the challenge of, adulthood really comes into play because then, you know, that's when you're trying to like really balance. Okay. So I've got to work and make a living. I need to provide for me or possibly for my family. Like there are responsibilities to be met. And then I've got all these things that I would really like to do. And so if I accept that I'm not able to do them for a living, I just have to find ways to fit them into my life. Um, I definitely have those things. And, and then, and then it just kind of becomes a challenge of like, what is this going to be in my life? Okay. So like a thing, so like we were joking about this before we got on, but like a thing that I like doing just for me and it's like, I'm not going to go pro is like, I love hiking. Like I'm not going to go pro doing that there. I don't know that there is a pro there's like a, an ultra running community and there's, you know, there's, there's all of, there's mountaineering and stuff, but it's like, I'm 32 years old. Like I'm not going to become a professional at this point, but I can still do, I can still be outside. I can still hike. I can still go do things and have a good time and enjoy that being a part of my life. Then there's something like writing. I enjoy writing. I enjoy the craft of writing. 
that is something that I feel a little bit more like that's I would kind of like to be able to make a living doing that like that seems like it's a reasonable accessible like it still feels very challenging and I have my days where it seems like that's impossible I'm never going to be able to do just this and survive but that feels like an area where I'm like maybe I should work hard enough at this to try to go pro at it have you read um Stephen Pressfield's turning pro no, but I, I've read a bunch of Pressfield stuff. That guy's fantastic. Yeah, he's, <laughs> I, I love that guy. Um, but that's what turning pro is all about, is basically just like deciding that you're a pro before you even are. Like deciding, I'm going to be a pro writer, whether I make a dollar doing it or not. I'm going to treat myself like a professional and I'm going to treat the craft with a workman-like um, discipline and just, just kind of a blue collar ethos. Like I'm just going to sit down and write and with, without an attachment to what that means or what this is going to turn to, because I feel, I think like ultimately what we're talking about with, am I doing this only for, um, external validation or is there something inside me that is driving me to do this? And if external things happen, awesome. That's cherry on top of the cake. But the cake is the internal motivation. The cake is like, I have to do this. I think that's the difference between ego and soul. Like, I'm, and soul might be called different things in different philosophies and teachings. But it, like, as somebody who comes from the background that I come from, I do believe that human beings have a soul in the sense that there is this like, deeper than material consciousness this deeper drive that like has this desire to express itself and live fully and be realized in the short amount of time that we have on earth and the ego is all of the junk that kind of clouds that and gets in the way of it and the ego is super super powerful but i feel like everything we're talking about is like how do you chip away at the ego while learning to listen more um, insightfully and be more in tune with the soul that is also saying important things like, you know, I just kind of feel like I kind of want to write a book. And then ego jumps in and is like, yeah, maybe you can be a bestseller or yeah. ego is like, what are you talking about? Like yeah. nobody wants to hear from you. Like <laughs> yeah, ego yeah. is saying both things, <laughs> yeah. but your soul is your soul is like, no, I just, I just really think it would be great to write one. And then you've got to like, grind it out yeah well okay so, um, so you said something about stephen pressfield about like turning pro and what people like there's another you know a couple other writing people that i'm really interested in seth goad and stephen king and they both have this idea that once you decide to turn pro your activities are actually pretty pedestrian and pretty like mundane where it's like once you turn pro you've got to show up and write and like it's yeah. not beautiful and it's not glamorous and it doesn't mean you're pro and you're flying around to press junkets. You're just in – Stephen King says one of my favorite things and he's like, my muse isn't like somebody that comes in and gives me the gold. My muse is some guy in a basement, like a dark basement smoking a cigar. And if I <laughs> yeah. keep showing up enough, eventually he'll give me something. And I'm like it's so perfect of like you've got to just show up and do the very unglamorous, unsexy things like carrying all your instruments to the gig, like writing when you don't want to write to eventually amass the skill and the confidence to to have and do something that I don't want to say matters, but matters. Yeah. And I think that I definitely encountered stand-ups 
you know, when I was on the open mic scene and stuff and when I was really trying to do it, I definitely encountered standups who probably had that feeling about standup. They were like, this is just, I just have to do this. Like there's, I just have to. And for me personally, I just kind of, I, I kind of lost that or maybe I never had it. And my ego, I was able to just sort of be like, okay, I guess this was an ego drive, not a pure like soul drive. And I don't know, like, I don't, I, I mean, I may come to, I may come to change my mind about that. I reserve that right. Like I reserve the right to continue to look back on my life and be like, oh, actually I've had a change of opinion about that. But I, I think that the, the trick is really to be on the lookout for what those things are that really make you sing and that you really do want to like go pro at, you know, in quotes. Yeah. And you, you mentioned something which is really important, which was, was the soul. And I, I said, I wanted to flip back to it, but you know, the soul and the hero's journey. So we've both done some writing and we're familiar with the, the, the model of the hero's journey um, of that idea of like the call to action um, and that whole thing. It, it's essentially, it's the, it's the visual, it's the storytelling of the human experience in a nutshell is the, is, is the hero's journey. It begins with that call to action, which, which you can call, like you said, the soul or the conscious being like, Hey, what about this thing? Like, and it tugs. And, and so within that, you have a podcast that I, I really love. It's called the back pew. And for the listeners who've never heard it, um, the back pew, tell us what it signifies. Cause I really enjoy it. And I think it works well with the, the idea of the mighty middle as well. Yeah, well, thanks so much for listening to it. Um, so the Back Pew was started uh, back in 2016 by my good friend Colton Simmons and myself. And the idea behind it was uh, we both came from the evangelical Christian church world. He was raised in America up in Northern California, but raised in a, in a very Christian home. And he went to Christian college. And we actually met while attending a really big, popular kind of hip church here in L.A. I was raised a... Uh, evangelical Christian missionary kid. Um, I was raised overseas, but obviously steeped in super, super, uh, super Christian religiosity. And um, so we both came from this world and we met when we were in our mid twenties and we were both kind of like grappling with this stuff we were raised with. Like, does it still apply? How does it apply? What does this mean? Um, you know, kind of standard quarter life existential crisis kind of stuff, you know, like what is all the stuff we've learned about God? Is that stuff legit? And Colton was a, um, uh, he's a graduate now, but he was a master's student. He was studying theology and he had a real interest in comedy and he, he's always been a huge comedy fan. So he was interested in the intersection of comedy and theology. He basically was studying why Christians take themselves so seriously and I was raised super, super Christian and had moved to L.A. And I moved to L.A. in order to work in Hollywood. But because I couldn't afford to make films, I had just started doing stand up. Um, that's like that's there's a lot. There's more to it. But that's the short version. So he was kind of fascinated with like my journey in that we became friends and we started this podcast. And the back pew in our mind is kind of the place that like people wandering out of the church and people wandering into the church who are, you know, people wandering out of the church are probably disillusioned and angry and frustrated. So they're on their way out. People wandering in are probably 
disillusioned and angry and broken, but maybe from the other direction. And so they're, they are seeking something. But in both directions, there's this movement of curiosity. People leaving the church are like, well, I want to see what's out there. And people walking into the church are like, well, I want to see what this is all about. And both groups are carrying baggage that the other side may not be carrying. And our thinking was that in both of their trajectories, they would pass one another in the back pew where they would, you know, somebody leaving is before they've quit entirely. They're just sitting in the back row like, I don't know, I'm on my way out. And somebody wandering in is like, well, I'm not comfortable here and I don't know about all of this, all this stuff, but I'll have a seat and I'll give it a shot. So that's where the idea came from. Yeah. And, and I love it. I love it because it kind of touches on what we've been talking about this whole time in a way. It touches on this idea that central to both of those people is with a sense of curiosity, but a sense of curiosity also comes with it a sense of doubt, right? Yeah. A sense of unassuredness and, and doubt not necessarily as a bad thing. Like I think, you know, when people say this sentence, trust the science, I'm like, well, science is actually a very like untrusting mechanism. It's a very like, um, I don't mean untrusting, but like curious. We're not just gonna like do a thing until we've we've tried it and tested it out. And right. I like I like that idea about your podcast because it speaks to so many people. Even if I'm not, I don't have a religious background or a religious bent. I can listen to your podcast, and I know what doubt feels like. I know what being unsure feels like. I know what wanting to try new things feels like. So it's it's a really, you know, it, it, I feel like it's got a lot of um, value to anybody who's listening to it. So I th- I think that like science is the science is essentially like the study of just poking at the natural world in mm-hmm. every possible direction. It's not like science is all built on like, don't accept things at face value, get the real answers, like exactly. keep, keep digging. And the minute you get one answer, you have to keep digging for the questions that that answer brings up. Yeah. Essentially science never ends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it won't ever end. And I think that like any time, you know, if somebody is using whether it's religion or science to be absolutely sure of basically everything like if somebody is saying like well because of science we know for sure all that exists is material there is no god i'm not a conservative christian by any stretch of the means but I, but, I, but i'm de- i'm like never going to be like well science solved it there's nothing out there it's like that is still an outrageously overconfident opinion in my opinion now, somebody on the other side might might be able to, to counter that, and that's totally fine. My worldview is basically posited on, like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. So I have to keep asking. I have to keep, the minute I learn something, I have to learn more. So I think that like science and that the whole exercise is in poking at the natural world and seeing what makes it tick and what makes it work and what what is the math that is you know, moving all of this, essentially theology, the, the philosophical study of God should be doing the same thing. It should constantly be poking and prodding and trying to get at it. And all too often religion, the religious community, probably 
I think they have a they have a greater propensity to do it than the scientific community. But the religious community tends to just be like, no, we we got it, we solved it, like yeah. that's it. Now not now not the religious community worldwide, but the Western religious community, and particularly of late the American religious establishment is very prone to doing that. And I, I, have a, a, I have a real problem with this. I got a real bone to pick with you, American religious not, institute. <laughs> American not, a, American. not a fan. Wait, hold on. There's Within that, it's funny because, so this podcast in particular, The Mighty Middle, there's three things that I, I, I'll reinforce all the time about it. It's, it's, it's wrapped around curiosity, compassion, and courage, right? And so when you talk about the back pew and that middle thing, it's, it's a lot of the same aspects. It's, it's being curious and willing to ask questions. It's compassionate, understanding that other people also might be struggling and then courageous enough to either ask something that might be tough or, or be, or find out you're wrong. Right. And when you talk about, you know, religion, and I love that Colton was studying why religions take themselves so seriously, because there's somebody said something which was like totalitarian governments or something aren't able to laugh. Like, like beware, it might've been like my Angela, like beware of anyone who's unable to laugh at themselves. But yeah. I think that's like anything in excess becomes toxic in a way, even, even an excess of, um, assuredness, mm-hmm. excess of positivity that this is the way. And you can, you can put that, you can, I like to extrapolate that out of specific people and groups and hang it over all groups. For anything, it's like I don't care if you're, um, I don't care if you're super conservative or super liberal or super Christian or super anything. The minute you've got it all figured out and everyone that doesn't believe the same thing as you is wrong, we are in trouble. Yeah, and I think that, I think that this is an interesting conversation because I do believe in convictions. Like mm-hmm. I do think that convictions are really important. I think it's important for all of us to have convictions. But I don't think you have to surrender your convictions in order to wrestle with or even hold the convictions of another human being. Mm-hmm. And I think that um I think that it takes a lot of I think it takes a lot of mental and emotional fortitude to be able to hold a conviction that might be counter to yours and at least try to understand it at least try to empathize with it. Even if you are like, I'm never going to hold this conviction. Like it, it stands for everything I hold precious, but why do you hold it? Like what caused you to hold it? Why do you feel that this thing is important? There must be a reason in the exact same reason that I think what I think is important is important. What do you, what do you think is the fear people have? What do you think keeps people from asking those questions in a sincere, compassionate way and not in a combative way, in the sense of actually caring or wondering what, where people are coming from versus I want to hear what you have to say so I can prove you wrong. I think there's a million answers to this question. And I think that give you me all of them, Dan. Dan, okay. get, Dan well, we got, let's I'm break gonna, it down. Guys, you, this is going to be have, the world's longest podcast. We'll just roll over here. <laughs> um, I think number I one. Think you would get, <laughs> I think you would get a different answer from everybody that you ask. I think for me, well, why do I, why would I be afraid to, to hold an idea that is different to mine? Well, I think there's the obvious thing of being wrong is really hard 
finding out that if a conviction you've held and stuck to defended, often defended belligerently is wrong. That was my experience in having to deconstruct my Christianity was like, I've like really had my stake very, very deep in the sand for a really, really long time. I mean, I have, I have defended this stake in the sand. I have. So if I all of a sudden need to pull this thing out, first of all, where am I going to put it in again? Am I ever going to feel secure again? Is this ever going to, am I ever going to get this thing deep into something else? Also, now I've got to account for the fact that I was like, yeah, sorry that I, sorry, I chose that hill to die on. I've, I've, had a change of heart. Like that's, that's humiliating. I don't think that's the only thing. I think that that's kind of like, I think that's the, that's the easy one. But I think, um, but can I say something real quick? Like you said, yeah. so you, you said it was the easy one. I know what you mean. Like the, the first one that comes to mind, but I think it was Jordan Peterson was talking about this idea that when you pull your stake out of the ground, when you, when, when your world is upheaved in some way, you actually, it, it actually in a way destroys your sense of past, present, and future. Your past was yeah. kind of like whatever, what you're doing now and where you're going to go. Like you said, where am I going to put the flag? So it's actually, it's humongous. And so it's the most understandable reason why, like why somebody might be reticent to be like, let me hear what you have to say. Because yeah. it could, in theory, destroy your life. Right. Well, and I think... And it, it often does. I mean, people that leave their, their faiths and their churches do frequently find their lives being destroyed. I was fortunate in that it didn't, it very seriously rattled my life, but it didn't destroy my life. But some people are, their lives are destroyed. They are abandoned by their family. They're, they go through divorces. They are, you know, it's cataclysmic. So yeah, that, that fear is very, very founded and very real for some people. But Again, I'm sort of like positing this, looking at the other side is like, well, what would make somebody afraid to leave? Like, I'm not a conservative. So it's easier for me to be like, well, what would make somebody afraid to leave a conservative position? And it's easier for me to be like, well, they're probably afraid of this and they probably don't want this and yada, yada, yada. It's harder for me to be like, well, what would make somebody like me afraid to abandon, abandon a more liberal position or a more progressive position? Do I need to abandon it? Or is there room for evolution and growth without abandoning it? Okay, well, let me, you know? ask, a, let me ask a question within that question. Um, why is it easier for you to see a, somebody maybe conservative versus you versus somebody with a more liberal position thinking whether they should abandon it or not? Or, not? or, or, be, or being afraid to abandon it or not? I think that... Um, I think it's always easier for us to judge our neighbor than it is for us to judge ourselves. You know, it's, it's easier to see the, the plank in somebody else's eye than the speck in our own eye. Um, again, I think that is, that is ego. It's, it's really vulnerable to have to look at yourself and be like, am I still going to believe this thing that I really believe right now in 10 years? And I guess that's the, you know, when you have undergone an experience where you're like, damn, everything I believed for years and years and years, I no longer believe. Is that going to keep happening to me? Am I going to keep experiencing that? When I'm 42, am I going to look back at me now, like 10 years prior and be like, I'm, I can't believe I said that on that podcast. That's so embarrassing. You know, you like when you like shake up your sense of what you 
know and how confident you are that you know it, you get to like live with that lingering fear that you're going to sound like a jackass for the rest of your life, you know? That's, but that, that's, you're absolutely right. But that to me is where the courage part comes in. And yes, like I agree with you a thousand percent. But also, I think we could both sit here and point to people that we admire, whether they're speakers, whether they're comedians, whether they're people that have just voiced their thing and have been ridiculed and have been called out and have been shit upon and still been like, I'd rather take that ride. I'd rather mm-hmm. take I'd rather take the ride of some people that have encountered some horrendous, horrendous, horrendous shit than a lot of the ride that I've chosen to take in this life where I've just sat and, and watched Mm-hmm. Um, and that's something I'm grappling with me personally a lot lately, which is like, what does courage look like? How do you question your own things? How do you question other people's things? How do you say something on a podcast? And yeah, whatever happens in 10 years happens, but I still go to bed the night and sleep like a baby because I stand behind what I said. Right. So I think like, well, I'm having, I'm having a lot of thoughts. But one of the things that I really believe for myself, I keep going back to myself because I never want to like speak for no, other people and, and, and I, speak for their and experiences. I, I appreciate it because, you know, it's, it's, it's healthy. The thing that I try to remind myself of is like, I really, from an early, from a pretty early age, like I started deconstructing my faith in pieces, probably when I was like uh, 15 or 16. I started kind of just taking like little pieces away from it. First, I started re-examining who this character of Jesus was and, you know, what, what does it mean to be saved? Why did he have to die? Yada, yada, yada. Because I was hyper, hyper, hyper religious. Um, and that just sort of set off a, a, a domino reaction of like bigger and bigger pieces until eventually, you know, I'm in college and I'm like, well, I don't think anybody's going to hell. That's ridiculous. Why would a loving God do that? And like, well, if there's, if no one's going to hell, well, then why would I believe that I would go to heaven like that? Hold on. The whole hell and heaven thing is like tied together. So, oh, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And now now you're like you're, you know, I'm 19. I'm slipping into existential dread because I'm like, why am I doing this? Why am I doing any of this? Why be a Christian if none of this stuff is true? Well, that's actually a really good question that every Christian should ask themselves. But like I started like, you know, I started chipping away at it for years and years and years. And I fell really, I became really enamored with the notion of like, when I was a kid, uh, Christians always talk about like, or at least the, the evangelical thread I was a part of people were either saved or they were lost. Like mm-hmm. that was the terminology that was used is like, you know, God is ever loving and Jesus Christ is he, he loves all his people and he is out to save the lost. He's looking for the lost. And those of us who are saved have a responsibility to go and help bring the lost back to Jesus. Like that's our responsibility. So I was like, this in, this idea of being lost, and there's so many stories in the Bible of like being lost out in the wilderness. You know, the, the Hebrew people wander in the wilderness for 40 years after they leave Egypt before they're able to enter the promised land. There's all these stories of, you know, people get lost all the time. It's like a real theme throughout most of the Bible. And I... I noticed that especially in the Old Testament and in some of the stories about Jesus, like these concepts of getting lost, like that's where people kept finding God. And so like there's this theme of people going out into the wilderness. And I kind of became obsessed with this concept of like, do we have this backwards? Like do are 
is do you find the truth when you're lost and we're all just like sort of like cuddled up together in our comfortable little camps around our shared fires telling one another like this is what it is we we are we are the right camp we have the right this is the right group of people this is the right tribe you found it no need to go looking for it and then there's all these stories of people going and they have incredible encounters whenever they leave uh, I mean, like I had an, I, I've had experiences where it's like, I, whenever I feel like I'm really out on my own, this feeling of like, I'm lost. I've had these experiences where I'm like, but this really feels like I'm onto something. This really feels like I'm learning something new. This feels like I'm peeling the onions of the layer, the, the layers of the onion back and the like, you know, what's the real thing here? So I'm constantly trying to encourage myself to keep getting lost. And every time I feel like I've got it in a certain area, whether it be spiritually or intellectually or politically or socially, I always feel like, well, I probably have a little bit more digging to do. And I don't think there's anything wrong with getting to these points where you feel like, okay, I've found something because that's going to keep happening. You wander, you get lost, you find something true, and I think it's okay to sit with it. We need those moments of reprieve. We can't just like wander the wilderness forever and ever by ourselves. That's not, that's not what we're designed for. But the hero's journey is not just like one lap. Like the hero's journey is a season and then you may go on another one and you may go on another one. And you keep always coming back to home you know, the hero always comes home having learned something new. And I think the important thing is he comes home with something new that is of value to the people around him. He comes back with like a knowledge or a, a gift or an ability or something that he is then able to apply to the good of the community. And I think that in real life, the truth is that we don't ever just live one movie plot. We don't live one story. We have to keep crossing the threshold. Things keep causing us to break out and search deeper. And it's easy to feel like you're just going around the same loop over and over again. Whether it's quitting comedy and then getting into acting and then quitting that and getting into improv and quitting that. I just sort of, it's easy to feel like I'm just going around the same circle over and over again. But in truth, I think each time around the hero's journey, around that loop, we're learning more. Hopefully, if we're doing it right, our sense of wisdom, humility, courage, compassion, the things that this podcast is about, those are expanding. So those rings are growing outward each time we're going around it. And my hope is that, you know, those concentric circles make an upward spiral Mm -hmm. of growth and evolution. And, you know, the, the, the purpose of the hero's journey is never the object that began the quest. It's always what you can learn and then how you can serve the community around you. And I think that that process should just go on and on and on. So I personally hope to just keep getting lost while also knowing that is a very, very difficult and frightening place to be. And I hate experiencing it every time I feel like I'm experiencing it. Yeah. And I'll actually, um, I mean, all that it's, there's so much in there and, and, and it's so, accurately describes just that that hero's journey and the experience and there's a few things in there i wanted to 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 kind of pull apart one is you'd mentioned the 
you, you like getting lost, right? You like the feeling of getting lost and then eventually you're going to find something. And I think within that is actually just the. I think, I, I think I've come to, I think I've come to appreciate it. I don't think I like it. I just want to, just want to be clear. Because to me, it's kind of like the balance of chaos and order. Like you need, you need to get lost to find the thing and then you need to revel in the thing for a little bit and then you need to work with that thing. And I, like you said, the hero's journey is multiple journeys. And, and once you've, once you've completed one, you're called to another one in some area of your life. Your life just doesn't life is living until it's mm-hmm. not. And life keeps calling you towards whatever that thing is that you need to do next. What I, we, I don't I don't know what the mechanism is that makes it happen. I just know mm-hmm. it happens and it doesn't not happen. And it happens enough that 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 we're talking about it and that anybody listening can be like, I know the feeling. Right. And that's kind of what's interesting. You mentioned something in there that I'm interested in too, which is you said they're not the same journey. They're all different journeys. I think there's there's times where you are on the same journey. You just haven't left a part of it. So like for me, I know there's a part where like I'm spinning my wheels and it feels like I'm doing it again, but I'm still lost in the woods, right? right. I feel like there's times where like I might have... And they say the definition of insanity is doing things over and over. But like, there are times where I'm like, how many times am I going to do this? And it's like, you're going to do it until you learn the lesson. And then yeah. you move on to the, and then you back on the ring. But we, it's easy for me, and I'm sure for many people to get lost in those eddies and forget that they're, that you're, you are on a journey and it does have touch points that are recognizable. Well, and I, I think this is like just philosophically. I guess there's an argument to be made that we aren't really, we aren't on a literal plotted journey. There is like, you know, life is chaotic. Um, But we are just implementing a structure over the top of it that gives us a sense of bearings it's kind of it's sort of like it's sort of like a map right like the we we have a map of the wilderness well if you're like looking out over the wilderness it's just the wilderness there's no there's no lines of latitude and longitude there's no compass there's no bearings it's it's just the wilderness but then we put a map and we like put like a point on it and we're like i'm going to navigate to this point now we're giving ourselves like superimposed meaning over a chaotic world. And I think that's what the hero's journey is. I think that's what stories are. So I think yeah. that like, I think that it's only in hindsight that we're able to sort of like look back at our life and be like, oh, like I was, I kind of like lived a story there. I sort of, I kind of like brought a, you ever have a moment in your life where life sort of like ties itself in a bow for you? Like you haven't, you had an experience and then weeks or days or weeks or months or years later, something else happens and it feels like it kind of completed that thing. And all of a sudden you have like a nice little story that you can tell at the moth. The world's longest, the world's longest callback (laughs) to the joke. Yeah. You get, you get those moments. I don't know that that's where I'm like, okay, well, it's possible that that is purely in my imagination and I happen to be a story-oriented person, so I'm just writing that over the top of things. Or I think there's also the, like, sometimes, excuse me, sometimes it's fun for me to have the faith that, like, or maybe the divine, the universe, you know, Mother God, whoever and whatever that 
that energy sort of like coursing through everything is, maybe they're a storyteller. Maybe they are, maybe they are writing some of these, these beats into existence. And if we have the capacity to look, listen, and spot it, we can kind of see the story in it. I think that, you know, I don't know. No, I, I think you're absolutely, you said it perfect. You said the beats because, I mean, what I'm super interested in, like like what I nerd out big time on is is life itself, is geometry, so sacred geometry. It was how plants work. It's how music works and how it's all interconnected. And what's interesting to me is, um, you you said beats. It's like there is a rhythm to it all, right? There is a story to it all, and the stories that we tell aren't really made up and imposed. They're captured and embodied. Like they happen enough iteration after iteration after thousands of years that we tell it as an act of service to the people that come after us. We're told it, right? And then and then we we experience it understand its truth or the truth in it and tell it. And it's something that we can, when we hear the stories, we can all understand, even like kids and, and fairy tales and stuff. Like they capture people because they're internally within us. You said something about not being aware of when you're on it. And that is true. Like that time where you're just like, you look back and you're like, oh, it all, like it all, it all bowed up. But I do think there are times when you're within it and you're like, Oh, this is the part where I need courage. Or yeah. this is the part is where the I need to answer the call. Or this is the part where I need to ask for help. So I do yeah. think there are times within it where we're like, oh, I know what part of this if we if we understand called the hero's journey or just the cycle of life, I think we're aware sometimes of like what's needed. Yeah. Um and that's an interesting thing when we don't um move in that direction. I think that's a I think that's a a great point because I do think that the you know the the model the story model can be used to to kind of like bring some shape to personal development and it can also be used to you know push us out of our comfort zones. I mean I think that if somebody is just sort of like well I got a you know I've got a great job and I'm in a happy relationship and everything's pretty good like everything's all, everything's copacetic, man. I'm, I'm, I'm straight. And it's, and I think you, you can use, you know, that, that is the utter definition of being at home in the village. Like that is the definition of just like that. Yeah. That's where the story starts. So then if you start to listen, you know, I know you're, you're a meditation guy. Like if you meditate, quiet yourself, begin to do like exercising or journaling or any, any number of a hundred things that you can do to kind of like start to turn inward. I think you'll notice that like, there's probably something kind of tapping at you or calling you. It might not be like, you've got to quit your job and move to the Himalayas. Like it might not be that, but it might be like, you know, I guess everything's going pretty good, but like, I guess I'm not really doing anything for the community or I guess I'm not really like doing anything that's really challenging. Nothing's really hard. Nothing's really demanding me to grow or anything like that. Maybe, you know, I, when I was 18, I thought about maybe running a marathon. I never did that. You know, like little stuff like that. Those are the little things that I think like those little impulses. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to go to that, uh, you know, I'm going to go to that town hall meeting. 
mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to check out this, this run club. I'm going to, whatever it is. I think those are the things that we have to learn to listen to within ourselves because those are the things that like set us off down paths that we're not looking for. Yeah. And they, they actually, it's, it's interesting if you, if I look back on my life, I don't know about, I don't speak for anyone else, but those are the things that set off these insane little chain reactions of like, I did go to the town hall meeting and I met this person and now I'm doing this and now I paint like it, it following the, the little, the little voice, the still small voice. Um, usually leads to something that turns out to be fulfilling if you follow it fully. Yeah. And I think that, you know, there ultimately there does have to be something big enough to make you cross the threshold and like leave Mm -hmm. your zone of comfort. It's, it has to be, you know, that's why like in all the great (laughs) myths and stories and stuff, the, the hero has to leave the village because like somebody burned his village down. Like it, it has to be, it, it's easier when it's something cataclysmic. It's almost, it's almost easier when, you know, I don't want to I don't want to say it's easier to experience something horrific because it's not, but it, it's almost easier to like get the message when like your life is crumbling than it is to just be like, I'm just super comfortable. <laughs> You have to really be dialed in if you're in that place, I think. And at the same time, if you're in a place where you're not super comfortable, I feel like for the vast majority of my life, I've not felt super, super comfortable. Maybe it's just about like, can you take a minute to stop obsessing over the one thing you've been obsessing about and maybe see what else might be, might be leading down a road? Or I think that sometimes that threshold is simply like, I am terrified to try this thing or to do this thing. I talk to so many people who are like, um, you know, less so now, but certainly years ago, I'm sure you experienced it too. Like, oh my God, I could, I could never do stand up. I could never do improv. And it's like, well, do you want to? And if they're like, oh no, then it's like, all right, like no need. <laughs> but if like, but if somebody's like, oh, I can't, like, I just don't know how you would do that. Just like get up in front of those people. Like, how do you do that? And it's like, do, do you want to do it? And you can tell that they do. And it's like, but you just got to go do that. Oh, yeah. But like you, you have to take the weight off of it of needing like kind of like, what if it goes badly? Then it goes badly. Yeah. But like, you're okay. You're the hero here. You're going to be okay. I'm actually... It, Go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. I, I'm just, I do, you made me think like I'm the best uh, fan watcher. Hang, like when people are going, if people are interested in stand up or want to do it, or if I'm at an open mic, I'm the best audience member because I get it. I'm like, yeah, I, I want I, them I want. to succeed. I, and I'm not like I want it to be easy for them. It's going to be tough and it's going to be brutal and you're going to eat shit. But I want to be, I know what it's like to have people that are supportive and listening and in your corner. And I try yeah. to be that for people. Um, because of that, because when somebody's like, "Hey, I'm kind of thinking about trying it," and like you said, you you know that they really want it. You're like, "Well, I here's t- I'll help you out. I'll, I'll meet up with you and talk about jokes all day," because I know that feeling. I know that call, and I want. Essentially, it's us wanting them to answer the call. Yeah. Well, and you know, you know what I think. What just occurs to me, just hearing like you and I talk about this, is that like, first of all, I think you and I, we're both pretty good starters. Like you and I are pretty strong when it comes to starting things, trying things. We both are kind of eclectic. Uh, we're sort of 
polyamorous when it comes to uh, things we're interested in. And we'll give pretty much anything a shot. Where I come up, where I come apart is in the stick to itiveness. So, like for me, you know, I know that there's probably other people out there who might resonate more with the part that I struggle with, which is like, yeah, 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 I have no problem trying the thing. I have no problem getting up, doing it once, doing it ten times. That's not the hard part. But for me, it's like once you get into the road of trials. Yeah, I was going to say on the hero's journey, where do you fall off the road of trials? Explain the road of trials to people that don't know the hero's journey. I'll link the hero's journey somewhere at the bottom of this. The, I mean, that's just where like you have crossed the threshold, you have left the sphere of comfort, you have entered the world of the unknown, you've entered into the sphere of things that you've never experienced before, and now things are getting real. Like, you know, you left the Shire, and now you're getting attacked by orcs, and you're having to like pass through the Mines of Moria, you're having to go through the difficult things you got to save the princess from the death star there's real obstacles and and the obstacles are not made up it's not just a matter of like i just like buck up and don't make a big deal out of it no some of this stuff is real like you may hit financial difficulties you may you know you may not know how you're going to raise the money to do that you may be struggling with time you might not know how to balance this with being a parent like you the may you may not real. have a supportive partner and you have to yeah. decide whether your life goal and mission and your partner like that's a real thing that people that happens to people a hundred percent so like those things are real and that's when that's when i think you really have to it goes back to like how this conversation started like why am i doing this what what is compelling me is the aim that i am on is the like the end goal I am seeking, is it meaningful enough for me to withstand these things? If it is, then you will and you can. But if it's something flimsy like fame and success, it's going to be like much, much harder, I think. That's my personal conviction on that. No, I I agree with you. i got a couple more questions for you because we're we're running long. Uh, Not long, but it's great talking to you. Where do you find your meaning or your why? Is it something that you create or something that you only you only go for when it engulfs you? I think I tend to make meaning around things and often probably to a fault. Uh, I think that I will I'm the person who will get into a fender bender and be like, what is why did this happen to me? And it's like, because you weren't paying attention, you asshole. Like, <laughs> like that's, that's it, dude. But I will be like, no, like there must be something to learn. Is this, am I being called out in some way? <laughs> like, no, no. But then I think there are other times where I'm like, oh my God, I just got into this fender bender. My life is ruined. And it's like, wait, I've been in a fender bender before. I thought my life was ruined then. It wasn't. It's not now. Okay. Okay. I'll be okay. That feels like growth. Like that mm-hmm. feels like, okay, I've, I have navigated this particular travail before. I have survived this particular hurdle. I can survive it again. So I think that like, is there making some meaning in that? Like writing it in after the fact? Yes. 
I think that where I get into trouble and where I'm sure other people get into trouble too is trying to forecast the meaning making and it's virtually impossible to do. I think that's where, you know, I get into trouble with like, okay, well, I kind of have this urge to do this, but like, but why, what's going to come of it? Mm-hmm. Like, why, why should I work on this project? What if nothing comes of it? Like, well, maybe you should just work on it because you're generally happier when you're working on something, you know, like sometimes that's enough. You know what I mean? But I think by needing everything to have a meaning in terms of just personal philosophy, I'm undecided on whether or not there is actual meaning or whether or not we make meaning and nothing means anything. I, I tend to put my faith in the fact that there is meaning and we sometimes are lucky enough to bump into it. I think that that's, you know, I call it God. I call it the divine. I think that that's like what spiritual pursuit is, is just trying to like, you know, um, let yourself be pulled along by the stream a little bit. Um, but I, but I'm, I think that you can still apply the principles, even if you are a complete nihilist, you can still be like, well, even if I believe there is no meaning, I can still sort of like place this over like a map over my life and give myself some, I can, I can connect the dots a little bit. See, that's, that's an interesting concept because I was reading something the other day and it was, it was a piece in a book. It was, um, it was a Jordan Peterson book, but he's talking about the nihilist. The nihilist is like, I don't care about life, fuck life. He's like, but then the nihilist hears music that he likes and he starts to get beat to and he's in the rhythm of it. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, you can't help caring for things that you care about. And you don't yeah. know you care about them until your body's caring for them. And that's to me when you're like, I don't know if meaning's a thing or not. Something is a meaning-making mechanism that makes us all do something. Call it God, call it whatever it is. And that's something that I try. I'm personally trying to be open to that sense of meaning and that call and that thing that calls me onto the path. And then when I'm on the path, trying to follow it trying to follow what I know to be true versus trying to do what I want because doing what I want has led me to like wonderful, cool places, but not a lot of um, fulfillment and not a lot of um, not a lot of meaning because what I want is usually what I want in the moment and not Mm -hmm. what's called. It's not necessarily what I want in the moment is not necessarily what's calling me. And that's something I'm trying to, to decipher more. And I hope other people are as well. And I mean, like, I'm, again, kind of goes back to, you know, where we started. We'll see if it even makes the final cut. But uh, none of this is going to make the final cut, Dan. (laughs) Great. Well, I've appreciated the exercise. (laughs) I'm going to cut in somebody else (laughs) for the whole interview. I got to wait. Hold on. I just got to find another guy named Dan Pivet online real quick. Uh, I'll find him for you. I found him. Um, I think, uh, you know, sometimes those things like, well, I just want to do like, Sometimes I do what I want and it leads to great things. And sometimes I do what I want and it leads to nowhere. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because sometimes we do what our ego wants and sometimes we do what our soul wants. And, you know, those both feel like, well, I'm doing what I want to do, but they, they have a tendency to lead in different directions. And I think that's like, that's the purpose of, uh, you know, meditational discernment. That's the purpose of like getting quiet and trying to listen to yourself and trying to like, stop the noise every once in a while. Yeah. Let me ask you that real quick. Um, two more questions. Uh, one is how, do, how do you, how do you Dan Prevet, um, create that kind of discernment? And then also within that same question, 
when do you feel, how do you create the discernment? And then how do you know when you're aligned with, with that meaning and that purpose or when you're off the path? Well, it's pretty easy to know when I'm like, quote, off the, off the path. And when we say like off the path, we mean off of like a healthy path when it, when it feels like I'm like, oh, I'm not heading in a healthy direction. Yeah. Is that what we mean by that? Yes. For me, it's pretty obvious because I just get really neglectful of everything that I know helps me feel better. I, I just, I just become more indulgent in the stuff. Uh, I become more indulgent in sweet and fatty foods. I, I exercise less. I skip meditation. I don't journal. I just don't put my, I don't put my energy into anything important. Um, because I'm, because I can, I can feel in myself that I'm hiding. Like I don't, I just don't want to face all the things that I need to face, whether those things are in me or literally like, Hey man, just go run these errands. Just like, just go knock them out. It's like, I don't want to, I just want to sit on the couch and watch community for the next eight hours. Leave me alone. So it's easy for me to feel like when I'm, when I'm off the path, um, because it feels like, it feels like hiding. The discernment part I am still working on and will probably be working on for the rest of my life. But I think that, um, what tends to work? That's real. That's really, that, that is really tricky. Generally, it's just doing the things. I feel like I'm in a good place when I'm doing the things that help me be present. If I go for a run and I feel you know, just a greater sense of like, yeah, like I did, that felt good. Like I, I feel, I, I got endorphins going. I feel good. I feel like I achieved a thing, completed the run I set out to do. Nice. Feel good about it. You know, whether I'm writing a project or something or working on, even if it's not a project, I'm just writing and I'm like, eh, this is, this is fun. Like, I like this idea. I like these words. When I feel like I'm just getting more grounded and I think that I become more realistic in a healthier place. Mm -hmm. Um, I rewatched Walter Mitty recently. And I think that it's interesting that in that movie, the more he does proactive things, the less he daydreams. And I kind of resonated with that. It's like the more that I'm just like actively engaged in things that I enjoy, I tend to spend less time daydreaming about things I would enjoy more. Wow. But it's really, it's really easy for me to start daydreaming about like, maybe I should do this and maybe I should do. And it's, it's escapist. It's because your mind is like, what we are experiencing right now is not fun or good, or it doesn't feel good or it's hard. So we start thinking about all the other things. It's like, that would be so much better. We don't really know that because we're not doing that. And often we haven't, like, I haven't tried it. I'm daydreaming about stuff I've never done. And I'm just like, oh, that would be so much better than this. Mm -hmm. So, um, okay. So like just a, a proactive, uh, an example, going back to the hiking thing, it's really, really easy for me to daydream about like, I just want to like drop everything, quit it all. And like go hike the Pacific crest trail, just go, just spend six months walking through the woods. Mm -hmm. Well, like I might do that someday. That's not an impossible thing. And there might be a time and a place for that. Like, I'm not going to rule it out for the rest of my life. 
but am I going to drop everything and go do that tomorrow? No, I'm not. So what can I do right now? Well, I think that interest in the outdoors, that's real. That interest in hiking and wanting to move my body and be in the sunshine, that's all good. Good stuff. So why don't, like, go for a five-mile hike? Go do, go do something I can do right now instead of fantasizing and daydreaming about something that I, like, can't go do and just getting lost in the fantasy of it. Yeah, you know, in essence, it's, get, it's getting present. It's a higher resolution of a lower resolution daydream. It's yeah. like this low resolution is like, oh, I could be, I want to be a world traveler. Maybe I'll just hike all the mountains. And it's like, but today, if I go and take a walk, it'll be much better than 13 years of thinking about the, the hike in the John Muir Trail. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I, I think that a lot of, for me, getting clear is just about finding the, finding the baby steps that I can take right now instead of obsessing over the giant things that feel overwhelming and beyond my reach. They're far, far less glamorous. Like the baby steps are frustratingly less glamorous, I think. And they, and they rarely, to me, feel like they're going to be enough. The ba- like I always have this feeling of like, well, why not do, you know, somebody like a, a well-meaning, loving person in my life will be like, well, why not this little thing? And I'm like, that's like, that's not going to do anything. But it might. Like, you know, trying that little thing might. That brings us right back to the beginning of this, which is being a professional, is showing up and doing the little mundane bullshit every yeah. day. It's being in the practice. It's showing up in the basement. The guy's going to pop up in the cigar and yeah. give you and give you something. That's right. Dan Prevett, listen, before you go, I'm going to I'm gonna ask you a couple of questions because we didn't really get into it. There's so much stuff I wanted to cover, but I love talking to you. Well, too bad I can never come on your podcast ever again. You it's can't, a one-and-done situation. Well, I have to. It's going to take me so long to edit you out of this one. That, <laughs> <laughs> it might be more work than it's worth. Um, um, how tall are you? I am six seven. So six seven. I was under. I thought six six. So you're six yeah. seven. I wish. I, w- I wish I was like a good strong six four. I wish I uh, like a like a Chris Hemsworth six four. That's what I wish. Yeah, because yeah, six, six four is like cool and sexy. Six seven's like you're a freak show. Yeah, you you're gotta, a you're, freak dance. If you're six, if you're six seven, people are like, "What are you doing with that?" Yeah, what are you? Yeah. Oh, okay. So, okay. So, real quick before we go, tall person speed round. That's what I want to do, real quick. Okay, go for it. Uh, round number one: Halloween costumes. Have you ever been Paul Bunyan? Uh, not for Halloween, but yes. Okay. Have you ever been the brawny guy? Uh, yes. All right. Um, give me another tall person uh, costume that you've done. Uh, I was the crocodile from hook. Uh, yeah, that was for a, a group party. Um, oh, I was, oh, wait, I was in it. I think that was, uh, yeah, you, we, well, uh, sh- our friend Sean was captain hook and our friend Jack was Peter Pan. And, uh, it's when we were bartending together and, uh, we had a few other friends be pirates and I was the crocodile I'm trying to think of other tall characters that have been. Me and my girlfriend have been, uh, I, she did Han Solo. I was Chewbacca. Oh, God, um, Chewbacca's perfect. Yeah, yeah, stuff like that. You know, the classics. And then um, just real quick, top three questions you get as a, as a tall person that you never want to hear again. <laughs> I mean, 100% people just in public just want to know how tall I am. They want to know if I play basketball, which I always think is funny because I'm like, so I'm like, I'm definitely – just an adult guy now. It's not like I'm a young person in school. It's not like I'm maybe playing college ball. I'm just a grown man in the grocery store. 
but they're like, do you play ball anywhere? <laughs> uh, so basketball. And um, I think the third, honestly, the third most common one is if I can grab something off a shelf for somebody. Oh, so it's practical. You're, you're, they're using you like an oxen. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have people ask me like how much I weigh. I mean, that, that comes up. You're like pre-COVID or during COVID? Those are different tax brackets. I love it, Dan. Well, Dan, that's great. Um, let me ask you, anything, anything else you want to say to, to what we've been speaking about today, whether it's faith, whether it's anything else? I guess I'll just say, um, I, I'll just say to anybody who might be listening, especially, nah, I don't really have any like words of wisdom, just that like, I hope you know you're doing great. No matter how like shitty you think you might be doing, you're doing really, really good. It's been a crazy year. We're recording this in uh, June 2021. The last year has been brutal. So if you're listening to this, you're you're doing great. You're just you're doing the best you can, and that's that's enough. And just you know, don't be don't be afraid to follow your gut. Like your gut telling you to do that stupid thing, that thing you're kind of afraid to admit that you want to do or want to try, even if it just feels like real dumb, silly, doesn't have to, doesn't have to change your entire life. You know, give yourself the freedom to do that. Life is meant to be enjoyed and learned from, you know, so give yourself the opportunity to, to learn and enjoy it and grow. That's, that's, we probably only get one pass at it. I love it. Dan, Dan Prevet. Dan, thank you. I love you, man. It's hey, really, I love talking to you, dude. It's so, it's so fun to talk to you. We are, I, yeah, it's funny in the middle of it. I'm like, oh, yeah, I forgot we're recording this. <laughs> <laughs> um, tell people before we go where they can find your podcast um, and anywhere else they might find Dan, your wonderful writing and your wonderful words. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the easiest places to find me are at Dan Prevet on Instagram and Twitter. Um, and if you find me there, you can also find the podcast at the back pew um on instagram and also the back and you can find the back pew wherever you get your free podcasts that stuff is free it's totally free everybody just uh be sure to like and subscribe yeah smash that smash subscribe that like button, button. Dude, <laughs> hold on before we go i keep hearing that from all like kids like my friends with kids that are like five they're like yo my five-year-old's like smash that subscribe button and i'm like what are we doing <laughs> <laughs> How do I get on that kid's podcast? He's oh probably got a God. huge audience. A lot of, yeah, I don't think he'd have you. He wouldn't have you. He's like, <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I'm not on TikTok, so yeah, um, I don't think they'd have me. He'd edit you out as well. All right, Dan, th- Dan thank you so much. Um, thanks, thanks for, for coming me, on, man. man. I appreciate it. Talk to you Dude. soon, man. Love you, buddy.